Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I am so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But we are in this together, and thankfully, this is a wonderful place to have incredible people helping us along the way. Now, Amy Morin has been on the show before. She was talking about 13 things mentally strong people don't do and how we can help kids drop bad habits that compromise their mental strength. And she's back. Yay! She's talking about her new book, which is coming on sale next week, September 19th. Now, Amy Morin is a psychotherapist and the international best-selling author of 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. So this new book, 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do, is sure to do well as we all need it. Amy teaches at Northeastern University and is a regular contributor to Forbes, Inc. very well and Psychology Today. Her advice has been featured by numerous media outlets, including Oprah.com, Parents, Business Insider, Success Magazine, and Fox News. And she stars in a Red Bull TV show called Visions of Greatness. This is so exciting. I'm so glad you're back. Thank you, Amy, for joining us again on How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thanks so much for having me back. So before we launch in, and and we really are glad you're back, can you just tell us what moved you from talking about 13 things mentally strong people don't do, which we talked about the last time, to this new population, 13 things mentally strong parents don't do? I kept getting the same question over and over in my inbox. People would email me and say, this is great. How do I teach my child how to be mentally strong? And then the most popular comment I kept getting from people was, I'm so happy that I learned this, but I wished I would have learned it earlier in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, I think there's just such a strong need to, to teach this to people as young as possible. And I got together with my publisher and said, what do you think? And we decided the best way to really do this, to teach kids how to be mentally strong, is to teach parents, how do you become a mental strength coach for your child? How do you help them build their mental muscle in everyday opportunities? And so that's how the book was born, was out of that sort of what my readers told me, this is what we want next. Mm-hmm. So important, so necessary. As a parent, I feel it. As a child development specialist, I get what you're saying. I do get that question a lot, how we can help our kids to thrive. And in knowing what you have provided, this is a great avenue to teach kids mental strength. So we, we've we talked about modeling on this show a lot in so many different ways. When kids have a strong model, kids uh, can follow suit. After all, they they know what positive character is or goal setting or resilience and I assume mental strength, what they look like when they're seeing it in action. But can you tell us what are some of the dangers kids face when parents aren't actively instilling mental strength 
in themselves. Well, just as you said, when parents aren't working on this, then kids don't work on it. Instead, the kids are learning all these bad habits. So whether they're learning to host a pity party when they have a bad day, or they're learning from their parents that if something isn't going right, you should just give up because if it didn't happen fast enough, there's no sense in trying. And they learn all of these bad habits. And we know that when it comes to kids, they're creating all of their ideas, your core beliefs about themselves and other people and the world in general. And those things get cemented in there. And it's much harder when you're 30 or 40 years old to sort of unlearn all these truths that you held true for all those years than if you could just learn them in the first place. And when parents say, okay, I'm going to be a good role model. We're going to make this part of our daily life to talk about mental strength. And I'm going to encourage you, but I'm also going to make it a priority in my own life to show you that I value being mentally strong. Then kids grow up just learning it naturally. Yeah, so so let's flip that question a little bit, and and let me ask you, what are some of the dangers if parents aren't helping kids build mental strength? What can happen with the kids if they're not learning that early? We're seeing some of the results of it now. You know, for instance, a study just came out that said sixty percent of college kids wish their parents had taught them emotional skills. Mm. And the kids who lacked emotional skills were more likely to drop out of school. They were more likely to use drugs and alcohol. They had lower GPAs and they were really struggling. That's just one example. I think when kids grow up and they enter the workforce or they join the military, if they don't have the skills to regulate their thoughts or to manage their behavior or to to figure out how do I control my emotions, then they're in they're just not going to reach their greatest potential in life, whether they settle for a, a job or they get into unhealthy relationships. There's all sorts of problems that we're, we're seeing every day that happens when people just don't feel like they don't have that mental strength, that they can't make their life as good as it could be. Yeah, and we know that parents often, and, and this is a, a result of society, of course, are focused so much on helping kids to thrive academically, maybe athletically, that these are some of the gifts that kids have or some of the gifts that parents often believe kids need in order to be visible in society. So it's not surprising that we put so much effort in that area. And we know that parents are integral in helping kids thrive in all areas. So tell us a little bit more about what are some of the benefits kids gain when the parents are really actively helping them to build mental muscle what is it that what is it that they really gain from parents being involved in shifting that attention from just academics to mental strength yeah, and just as you say, we're seeing a lot of that where parents are propping kids up. So their kid forgets their soccer cleats, they deliver, parents deliver them to practice because nobody wants their child to not be able to participate because mm. he might fall behind. Or when your child is struggling in school, so many parents are really quick to say, let's hire a tutor, let's get a, a coach, let's help enroll you in this expensive SAT prep course. But at the same time, they're not letting their kids fail. They're not letting their kids learn from their mistakes. They don't let them face natural consequences. They don't want them to struggle. And that's really the difference is sometimes just being able to say, okay, what's best for my child in the long term? Maybe that means he's going to get a B on his paper today, but he's going to learn valuable life lessons. And for a lot of parents, that's hard to take that step back. There's no doubt that 
today's world is really competitive and young people are doing everything they can to get a leg up so that they can get into the best schools or that they can get the best jobs. And so for a lot of parents, the idea that you would let your child forget his homework one night is terrifying. But unfortunately, we're seeing these kids that are getting through high school because their parents prop them up, but then they're just not ready for the real world once their parents aren't there to monitor every move. Mm, I, 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 this is rem- this is making me think of Jessica Leahy. We had her on and she talked about the gift of failure. And, and I know that's just one small piece, but you know, when she talks about allowing her kid to have, you know, he forgot his homework on the, uh, on the coffee table and she had to do everything in her willpower to not bring it in because she knew how important it was for him to fail in this way so that he was able to develop a skill to remember his work. And that's what he did. He was able to create a checklist, which he still uses today. And when we are constantly rescuing our child like that, they never get to figure out what can help them to thrive. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's and I know how hard it is for parents to be able to take that step back and say, okay, I'm not going to do this for my child. And it's painful for us to watch kids struggle. We just want to swoop in and spare them for pain. But unfortunately, we do them a disservice when we do that. But I think it's a factor in our society these days. It used to be if somebody forgot their homework once in a while, it wasn't a big deal because every kid forgot their homework sometimes. But we have so many parents now that are helicopter parents or they're really just focused on making sure their kids succeed that it could just be one missed homework assignment makes you feel like, well, now my kid's not going to get into Harvard because I didn't rush that up there to deliver it to him. And, you know, then it's that pressure that I think that parents are really feeling these days to say, what can I do to make sure I don't want to look like a bad parent? If everybody else has their soccer uniform and my child doesn't, what's that going to happen? How am I going to look? And, you know, we have all these issues of parent shaming and it's competitive in the parenting world too. And so I know that parents are feeling that pressure and unfortunately it's taking a toll on kids these days yeah I I can uh, I can understand that because we have this thing going on in our heads that are telling us that we're we are failing as parents if we don't come in and rescue our child but then at the same time the kids are not able to fail and flounder when the stakes are low. So then later on, when the stakes are high, they have no skills. That's it, exactly. And, you know, we're even seeing these days that parents, when their kids graduate from college, parents are going to job interviews with oh, their kids. No, they are and not. No. They are. And <laughs> HR departments are saying that parents are trying to negotiate their kids' salaries and they're calling the HR department when their adult child receives disciplinary action. So I think it's starting to extend far beyond high school. It's gone beyond college. And now we're talking about the, the working world that even when somebody's 25, 28 years old, Parents are still trying to intervene because they can't let their child fail now because they've never let them fail before. Mm, it's like a compressed childhood or, or actually an extended childhood. I'm just making right. it last that much longer. I, what in the world? So we, you talk about in the book uh, some habits that people need to drop. And you talked about this the last time about what mentally strong people don't do. Uh, we talked about not wasting time feeling sorry for yourself, um, not giving away your power, not making the same mistakes over and over again. So can you tell us what are some of the habits that parents need to drop 
in order to help kids become mentally strong? Well, for example, if you want to raise a child who's going to become a mentally strong adult who doesn't feel sorry for himself, then your goal is to say, I'm not going to condone a victim mentality. And we know in today's world, there's a lot of I'd say confusion about what makes you a victim. We see so many kids who say, you know, my teacher gave me a bad grade and I'm a victim of of a horrible school system or I struck out at the baseball game. So now I'm a I'm a victim of a bad umpire. And it's really about teaching children to to know that, okay, just because something bad happened to you, you don't have to feel sorry for yourself. You don't have to develop this victim mentality. And when parents can really teach kids that they're responsible for their own choices and that they can go out there and create whatever kind of life they want, you'll instill these core beliefs where your child isn't going to host pity parties when he grows up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I know that you talk about uh, these different things that you don't do. So can you give our parents, and, and you know what, it's really all for every adult that's working with kids, whether it's a coach or a, or, or a teacher. I mean, really, it's anybody. But what are some things that we can do as parents that is going to help build that mental muscle. I know you just mentioned one, which is really being helping them to to be responsible for their own choices and, and of course, allowing them to fail. But what are some of the other things that we should absolutely be doing as parents and educators that can help build that mental muscle in our kids? You know, one is that mentally strong parents, they don't give their child power over them. And that goes back to teaching their child that he doesn't have to give away his power, mm-hmm. even as an adult. But we see this shift in families these days where, it, you know, I think back in, say, the 50s, we had a very clear family hierarchy. There was the mom and the dad, and the kids were just expected to be obedient. And then, you know, a few years down the road in the 70s and the 80s, the pendulum started to swing where we thought, you know, raising obedient children isn't necessarily the goal. Let's raise kids who can think for themselves. And when all of that happened, it sort of started to shift this family hierarchy. And I think we're seeing the results now that so many families treat their child as if the child was an equal. Mm -hmm. And in my therapy office, I see a lot of kids and families who come in and the parents are asking the kids questions like, do you think we should move to another city And the child is weighing in and the parents won't do it if the child says no, or the child will vote on, you know, this is what I think we should have for dinner. And the mom will go ahead and make the child a separate meal for, Mm -hmm. and, and really kids are just given way more power than they should have. And it's not helping them to, to know, okay, I can, I have limited power in life and here's how to use my power. But instead they're sort of parents are getting it all muddled. And so one of the ways to take that back is for parents to establish a clearer hierarchy to say, yes, I'm in charge. And yes, I value your input. However, as a wise adult, I'm going to make the decision in the end. So you can tell me how you feel because I value your opinion, but ultimately it's up to me to decide. And you don't have to like what we're eating for dinner. That's okay. Or you don't have to like the fact that we're moving, but as the adult, I'm still going to do it anyway if I think that's in our best interest. So important what you're just saying because I can imagine that we have people listening and thinking to themselves, well, my kid's opinion matters to me and I want to know what they're, what they're thinking. But what you're saying is, and I just want to underscore this, that 
a parent or an educator or coach has a really distinct amount of knowledge and and they're wise, you know, they've been around the block, they've had experience. And so that ultimately the decision is going to be up to that person. I know that uh, we're talking right now about camp next summer. And uh, my daughter and, and my son, we've been going to different camps and, and looking at them. And, um, and, and I want to hear their opinion. But I have said to them that mommy and daddy are the ones who are going to make the ultimate decision because we know what's best for you. And we're looking at a lot of different things. I'm happy to share with you what it is that helped us to come to this conclusion. But I just want you to understand that ultimately, it's going to be up to us. And it's not going to be about how big this apparatus is, or how much playtime you get, or how much candy you're going to receive. It's going to be about what we think is best for you. And I think that's really what you're saying here, that it's not that we don't want to hear what our kids think, but that the decision needs to ultimately be up to us because we have the experience and knowledge. That's it exactly. And for parents to know, I'm going to make the best decision based on what I'm thinking and feeling. And sometimes it's not even that a child says, okay, this is what I want. We have to do it. Sometimes it's their behavior. I see a lot of kids who will, you know, throw a fit in the grocery store and the mom is embarrassed. So she says, fine, you know, I'll buy you a lollipop or I'll buy you candy, whatever you want. Just stop crying. (laughs) And I see a lot of that where kids have sort of figured out these dirty tricks to manipulate mom or dad. I used to work with this kid who would, um, hold his breath and he passed out at one point so after that whenever this little boy would hold his breath mom and dad would do anything he wanted because they were terrified that he was going to hold his breath and turn blue or I used to work with a little boy who mom was afraid he was going to starve to death if she didn't feed him (laughs) peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because he'd go on a hunger strike and he'd say you know I want peanut butter and jelly mom would say no and he'd say then I'm not eating and then she'd cave in and give it to him and so it's really about taking back your power and saying okay even if you misbehave or even if you try to hold me hostage in some way shape or form it's not going to work Right, it's not. And and ultimately we know the kids are not going to starve themselves and they really are not going to be worse off if they don't get the lollipop. Uh, what is going to happen, of course, is that you can create a pattern and that pattern is that your child gets to decide when you're in the grocery store what you're having for dinner and where you get to go. And I'd like to talk more about those habits that we create because... When we are in a situation, let's let's say one of your habits is mentally strong parents don't take shortcuts to avoid discomfort. So let's say that we are really in the habit of doing that. Let's say we're in the habit of rescuing our child or bringing the soccer cleats to practice. We're in the habit of bringing the homework to school. We do it every time and, and we feel comfortable doing that. Well, let's say that's happening over and over again, and all of a sudden, we've read your book, we've listened to this podcast, and we're like, oh my gosh, that's me. I am doing this pattern, and I want to break it. So how do we then talk to our kids about how we're going to now be tackling some new tough issues, and this is how it's going to go. I'm breaking this pattern, and and here's the new regime. Tell me about that. I think it's important, you know, depending on your child's age to have some sort of an upfront conversation. So if it's a four-year-old and you say, okay, 
lately when you scream in the grocery store, I buy you stuff. Hmm. I'm not going to do that anymore. Today, if you scream, this is what's going to happen. I'm just going to keep shopping or we're going to take a break and go out to the car. And then when you're calm, we're going to go back in the store. But to really just explain what's going to happen. If you have an older child, you can explain a little bit more about why that was a bad idea. If you say, you know, lately I have been allowing you to play on your electronics for hours on end because that's easier for me, but it's not good for you. And I don't want you to grow up thinking that it's healthy to watch TV eight hours a day. So from now on, here's the new rule. We're going to set a limit of two hours a night. And after that, this is what you can do instead. You can go outside, you can color, you can draw, you can do read a book, but we're not going to do that. And let your child ask questions, let your child complain, throw a fit, whatever it might be, but to know, okay, the first few days is going to be really tough because your child's going to test you to find out if you're actually going to stick to it. And as long as you can hold firm, at some point, your child will realize you were serious. And from now on, things have changed. And no matter what they do, you're not going to cave in. And it's really hard. It's that beginning few days, maybe a couple of weeks. It's really hard to stick to that because behavior problems usually get worse before they get better. But if you can just hold strong, then you can sort of turn the corner and things get better and they get easier and your child sort of understands, okay, this is the new way things are going on. And, and this is how I can do things differently to succeed in my house. So for the parent who's listening to this and thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, like this, this is a lot. I'm, I'm concerned because I, I have trouble, you know, keeping to this type of new pattern. I've tried it before or whatever. How can that parent or educator get some support? What, what is it that they can do? Because obviously while it's happening, you're not going to be confiding in your child um, and saying, I'm really struggling with not giving you everything you want or rescuing you, what can they do to kind of keep strong mentally themselves? You know, I think sometimes it's a good idea before you make this change to write yourself a list of the top five or 10 reasons why you want to do this and what your, your child or you will gain from this. So then when you're in a weak moment, you can go back to that list and say, okay, here's why I made this change. And even though right now I feel like giving in rationally, here's why I should stick to it. And I have parents that have done that and they find that to at least give them that little boost of extra motivation when they're tempted to cave in. And I think it's good also to have a, a phone a friend option. So whether you, it's your it's your cousin, your neighbor, your grandmother, somebody that you can call and just say, you know, hey, help, I'm, I'm struggling right now. And somebody that can know that this is your plan, this is what you're struggling with, but somebody that will be kind and compassionate, yet also hold you accountable for saying, nope, don't do it, hold firm. And that can really help you get through those tough days and tough times too. Right. I mean, I, I imagine that part of what we need to change is that mental loop that we have going on in our heads, right? Like that thing that keeps telling us we're a terrible parent. Um, we, if we don't uh, do X, Y, and Z, that people are going to be looking at us and telling us that we're, we're being terrible. And so I'm imagining that we need to change the, the verbal message that's going on in our heads, yeah, that's it exactly, is to be able to just change that script. Because I think every every one of us at some point 
either thinks I'm going to cause my child damage or people are staring at me and they're judging me or this isn't right or I can't stand to watch my child suffer. It's all those sorts of messages that we give ourselves that cause us to cave into those shortcuts even when it's not a good idea. And so I think to be able to figure out how am I best going to change that script that I'm giving myself to remind myself, no, this is what I need to be doing. Even though it's hard right now, I need to stick to it. What do you think happens to the relationship between parents and kids when these shifts are made. I mean, I'm imagining that people are thinking to themselves while they're listening to this that I have a really good relationship with my child. They always know they can rely on me to, you know, be on their team. But when I'm doing these things, I feel like I'm kind of stepping back. So what does it do to the relationship when you start dropping these habits that make things probably in the short run, a little tougher for our kids. You know, I think for for parents to know that, and ultimately it's good for your kids Mm -hmm. for you to set those limits. Kids get anxious when they think that you're not a fearless leader. If they think, boy, I can annoy my mom or my dad into submission. I can whine until they cave in. How am I going to trust that this person is making healthy decisions for the family? But when you can really make these shifts and know that your child might be mad at you up front or that maybe he's going to blame you or yell at you or say, I hate you, all those things that as parents we dread because you think, oh my goodness, you know, the last thing you'd want is for your child to, to not like you. But at the same time, that can actually be a healthy thing when your child isn't happy or says, I don't, I don't, mom, you know, I don't want you to do that. So remember, there's a reason we don't give kids an opportunity to, to vote or they can't make adult decisions in the real world because they don't have that capability. And when you sort of take back that power and you say, okay, here's the rules, here's the consequences, and I'm going to enforce them. After a while, that can actually help you develop a stronger bond. Your child's going to know, okay, my mom's in charge. My dad's the, the leader. And I can trust that this person's going to make good decisions for us. Right. And then the kids know that they can rely on you in a different way, that you might not be the one who's going to rescue them and make things easy for them, but you're the one who's going to make really strong choices and things uh, are going to be good in the long run uh, because your child then feels like they've got this, right? They've got this. They don't need their parent at all time to come in and, and do it for them. Right. It sort of gives kids the opportunity. It frees them up to say, okay, my job's to focus on me. I can be a kid. I can do this stuff. And also my parents have my back. Even though they might not deliver that homework paper, they're thinking about my future and they're working to make sure that I learn the life lessons I need. So let's talk about what we can do as sort of a follow-up. So we uh, allow our child to fail, um, or we don't uh, join in the pity party, or we allow our child to make the bad choice. And then what's the follow-up? So then our child is uh, maybe got a bad grade, or they um, you know, made the bad choice that made their friend angry, or whatever it might be. And now what's the follow-up? Here they are sort of wallowing. Um, They realize, oh my gosh, I made this terrible mistake, which probably isn't that terrible in the long run, but they believe it is. What do we do to then coach them um, after, after the fact? One of the exercises in the book is called Connect the Dots. And it's just sitting down with your child to say, okay, let's figure out how we got here. Mm -hmm. So maybe you got kicked off the baseball team or maybe you 
only got a C in math class. Let's connect those dots. Well, how much time did you spend studying? How often did you get your homework done? And you sort of just backtrack with your child. And sometimes for kids who are really visual, you could sit down and even draw a diagram and just sort of go backwards and say, okay, and now if we want to do better next time, what kinds of things could you do so that the outcome might be a little bit differently? And it just is a way to problem solve with your child and help your child say, okay, I'm responsible for my behavior and my choices, and I can have some control in the outcome, and here's what I could do differently next time. And that's a really important piece is to then say, how do I make sure that I'm teaching my child the skills so that he doesn't repeat those mistakes so that next time he he does better rather than just you know, punishing your child and saying you shouldn't do that or lecturing them. It doesn't teach them any skills. It's all about saying, how do I teach you how to recover from this, how to balance back and how to do better next time so that when I'm not there, so when you're 30 years old, you know when you make a mistake how to recover effectively. Right. Or if you're feeling anxious about something, mommy or daddy isn't going to be, we're not going to be the ones who speak for you. Um, and, and you didn't get your questions answered this time because you, you, we weren't coming in and asking the questions that you had and you weren't doing that. So now uh, what are you going to do next time? And the child learns to maybe write down their questions or voice their opinion or, you know, speak up when they don't understand something instead of us sending the email to the teacher and saying, my child didn't understand the homework or the ch my child doesn't know what, what he's supposed to study for the test. That that is a time when they can then think about those things, process it so that the next time they, as I talked about this with uh, Lynn Kenny in her podcast, that we kind of move the starting line, don't we? We kind of move their ability, their skill level up a level so that the next time they're in a different space. Right. That's it. Exactly. And there's a, another exercise in the book about debriefing with your child. So when your child succeeds at something, sit down and then talk about it. What helps you succeed? Mm -hmm. But then when they fail as well, sit down and talk about it. Hey, what do you think you did well? And what do you think you could do better next time? And it's a, one of those steps that I think we often forget with kids. We say, hey, you did a great job or way to go. But we don't really talk about what strategies went into their success or what they could have done better. And when you can really talk to your child and rather than just spoon feeding your child, hey, you studied hard, so you got an A, great job. Ask your child, what do you think you did well? And what are you going to do again next time so you can keep doing well? And really helping kids become critical thinkers and their own problem solvers. I love that. I The idea of following up and not just sort of letting sleeping dogs lie seems like such an important strategy. And I think you're right that we often forget or or don't do it because it's done. But really, it's not done at that point. Whether it's, uh, you know, how did you stay calm when you were feeling anxious at that one time? Or how did you succeed in, in doing whatever you needed to do for school this time? These are great things to process so that your children the next time, again, move that starting line and say, well, I studied, you know, three hours uh, for this particular uh, test the last time, and I did felt really good about that. So that's what I'm going to do this time. Plus, I met with the teacher before, and that seems like a really good strategy for me. Right. It's one of those simple things. It might take you three minutes of your time to have that conversation, but there's research behind it that says that makes all the difference in 
your child's ability to learn from his behavior and his choices. Yes, yes, that seems like exactly it. And it doesn't just sort of, it's not like just going through the motions. It it solidifies it in that child's head where they're able to sit there and think, oh yeah, this is what I did differently. And this works for me. This is part of how I learn, or this is a good way for me to cope. Right. And then, and then they learn down the road, okay, I've got this. I know how, I know what I'm doing. Rather than saying, okay, my mom told me to do this, or my dad said I have to stop doing that. It's more about this is what I know, and this is what I've learned. And they can evaluate their experiences a little more objectively and, and then figure out how do I move forward and improve my chances of success. Great. So in your book, then, it has these habits that we can drop, but it also sounds like you have a bunch of exercises that parents can use right there, right then and there with with themselves and with their children. Is that correct? It is. So every chapter, all 13 of the things, there's a, a list of probably five or six parent exercises. And then there's a list of exercises for kids. And some of them are broken down by preschoolers and middle schoolers and high schoolers um, so that you can say to your child, hey, let's try this one. Or, you know, when you're having a bad day, how do you get unstuck so that you don't stay in a bad mood? Or how do you manage your anger? How do you deal with problems? Or what about when you're thinking your mind is full of self-doubt and you're thinking all these negative things. How can you think differently? And so it's really about exercises for parents to do to change their parenting habits, but then the exercises to teach kids that they can carry with them throughout their life. Oh, I think this is all really important. I love what you're doing here. I think at this point, I'd love to hear your top tip. So out of all the things that we've talked about, or maybe even something that you haven't mentioned yet, what is the top tip that you would want parents and whoever else is listening to this podcast to come away with so that their students, their uh, kids are becoming more mentally strong? Um, I guess one big thing is, is to sort of look at what you, how you see your role in a child's life and whether you think that you are a protector or you're a guide. And we know that a lot of parents think that, okay, my job's to make sure nothing bad happens to my child. Those are the people who are protectors. People who are guides are able to say, I know bad things are going to happen, but I'm going to help my child learn from them. And if you can say, I'm going to work on becoming more of a guide and less of a protector, and I'm going to turn all these obstacles and challenges that my child faces throughout his life into learning opportunities, your child will be so mentally strong by the time he's 18 and leaves the house that he's not going to then need you to continue to protect him. You'll be able to say, let's practice all of those skills you learned over the years. And whether it's he doesn't get the job that he wanted or he gets a job and then he gets promoted and he's anxious about that, whatever it might be. But for your child to have the skills that he needs to reach his greatest potential, if you've just been a guide all along. Mm. So important. And it, it's something that we can start right away. It doesn't matter if your child is uh, three or your child's 13 or your child is 15. It sounds like there's something that we can do today that allows our children to become more skillful and more mentally strong. Absolutely. We took a, a parenting group and sort of tested to see how 
parents of different ages would do with all of these exercises. And so they grow from toddlers all the way up to young adults. And there's 25 to 30 parents who are participating in this and testing out all of the exercises. And no matter how old their kids were, everybody has said, this has helped me do things differently. And it's taught me a different way to interact with my kids. So I think no matter how old your kids are, it's never too late, but it's also never too early to get started. Have you found with that parenting group uh, that you have there that there's been a favorite exercise? I would say one of them is probably the the blue and true thoughts exercise, which is really about helping kids. Blue is an acronym that helps kids identify their negative thoughts, and then you help them replace it with a true thought. And the parents have tested this with their kids, and they've been really responsive to then figuring out, okay, that's a blue thought. And then they reframe it into something more realistic. And parents have found that to be helpful for themselves, but they've also found it really helpful to then be able to ask their child. It gives them the language to say, is that a blue thought or a true thought? And then, and then help their child construct a, a more productive message to give themselves. So a blue thought might be, you know, that everybody in the whole state hates them kind of thing, like the really uh, uh, large and general. And then a true thought might be very specific that their friend got mad at them for ripping their paper. Yeah, exactly. So blue, it's an acronym that stands for blaming myself, looking for the bad news, unhappy guessing, or exaggeratedly negative thoughts. And so kids can sort of categorize them and then say, okay, what else can I do? So that, yeah, it's not true that everybody in the world hates me. Instead, two people were angry with me. That's a more realistic thought. Okay, excellent. Well, I love all of your tips and your exercises. I think they're so going to be extremely helpful for so many people, the parents that are listening, but also because we have so many coaches and educators. These are things that any adult can do with children to get them thinking about how to make positive choices, how to uh, really come forth as, as a skillful person themselves to stand on their own two feet and rely on themselves. And knowing, of course, they can always turn to us when things really go wrong, but that the first person that they should turn to is themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And we put some of those people in our parenting group. We have a couple of um, high school sports coaches, and we also have some educators just to say, how can you apply this to your practice, even if you your children are grown up or you don't have children of your own? And they're finding that they're able to just use some of the exercises and then sometimes work with the parents so that they all have the same language to say, okay, how can we work on this together by connecting the dots or changing blue thoughts? So it's been a lot of fun to see how, how that can work with other people who have children in their lives and a different sort of way other than a parent. Right. When everybody has the same language across the board, it can really help the children to thrive because they know exactly what everybody is talking about and everybody's on the same page. Right. So give us the resource of the week. Where do you want everybody to go in order to get more information about you, your new book, or anything else that you're offering? And my website is Amy Morin. LCSW is in licensed clinical social worker.com. And there's lots of information on there about my book. And there's a um, copy of my TEDx talk. And there's some videos and a blog and lots of other information about building mental strength. And I understand that because we are, uh, ha this is being listened to prior to the actual book launch by one week. So tell us. Do we get anything special for getting onto your website? Is there any sort of special goodie page? 
There is. On my book page, you can find a link to the pre-order bonuses. And we're giving away over $100 in free bonuses to anybody who buys a book. And you get a mental strength exercises cheat sheets to help you know right in the moment whether your child's angry or misbehaving. Okay, what can I do? Which exercises are helpful for me right now? And you also get the mental strength manifesto. And then if you buy more copies of the book, you get even more goodies ranging from uh, signed copies to a workbook, to a workbook for your child, and the list goes on and on. But even if you just buy one copy, we'll give you well over $100 in free gifts for saying thank you for pre-ordering. Awesome, awesome. And who doesn't want this book? Because you're getting so many great things that are going to really help our children. And I hope that you keep writing these books and keep exploring this idea of mental strength. I just want to thank you so much for joining us today and talking about what mentally strong people and parents don't do. I, I'm very intrigued by the things that you say. I, I love the exercises. I think those are so important because then we bring it right down to exactly what we need to do and exactly what we should not be doing and then we feel like we're making some progress so thank you so much for coming on and giving us all these great tools oh thank you for having me well i've got my takeaways and sweet friends i know you have yours let's discuss them come up on facebook go to facebook.com slash dr robin silverman or let's chat about it on drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash dr robin and don't forget our friend amy morin has her fabulous new book 13 things mentally strong parents don't do going on sale next week september 19th and also remember those pre-order bonuses because it's awesome to have all those incredible resources right on Amy's website. So get on that and get that pre-order because we've got some great things there. And if you love this podcast like I did, would you kindly go up to iTunes and rate, review, and share it so others can learn about these outstanding solutions and use them in their own homes. I would really appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. Please remember, even when it seems like nothing's going right, we all have those days. You've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. And on the days when we fall short, never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet, sweet sanity, please know you are ten times the parent you think you are. You really are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.